also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Hello and welcome back to this episode of Bottleman. It's me, Riley, and uh, we've weekended Bernie's Dan's dead body uh, into the microphone. And um, uh, uh, one of the one of the two guys from Weekend at Bernie's is moving his mouth, and the other one's blowing air through his ass like a puppet. Well, you wouldn't do that with I'm a puppet. Speaking to you from beyond uh, the, the from beyond the plane of human existence, uh, I have gone. To the other side, and uh, as we predicted on this show, it's fucking Dog River all the way down. Yeah, you're staying in a you're staying in a lovely hotel uh, where yeah. they specifically have prevented you from playing Dwarf Fortress on the TV. And listener, I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this in Dan's audio, but he is reclining on a bed. There's no fucking table or chair in this hotel room. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. That's rock and roll. This is this is a. I'm not going to name the hotel and shame them, but I will say that this hotel is not cheap. A of all and B of all, there's literally nowhere to work. There's nowhere to. If I wanted to sit down, I can sit down on the bed. Uh, I can lie down in the bed. Uh, I can stand by the bed, but I can't sit in a chair at a desk and put something on a surface, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, I also can't connect my uh, gaming laptop to the Samsung television via HDMI, even though I did plug in an HDMI cable to the Samsung television and then plug the other end into my gaming laptop in the attempt to play Dwarf Fortress on the big screen like I like to do. But uh, there are some kind of Weird proprietary controls that don't let you don't allow you to uh, to send information to the television. Yeah, because this I, I can fucking I can fucking Chromecast to my to my heart's content, but that's not going to get Dwarf Fortress on the Samsung. Yeah, it's it's because this hotel heard all those stories of like Led Zeppelin checking into a hotel room and then playing Dwarf Fortress all night. It's sitting, That's right. sitting down and doing some work at a desk. Um, you know, they wanted to they wanted to protect themselves from rock stars like yourself coming in and just fucking with the place, working, playing Dwarf Fortress, doing uh, playing, just firing up Caves of Cud for like a uh, just a, just a long session mm-hmm. of um, roguelike ex- exploration and fun, maybe a bit of grinding. Yeah, no, can't do that here. No, no. rock and roll hotel, my ass. You can uh, there's you, you you try to play Zork on that uh, on that computer. Your credit card's getting a four hundred dollar charge. Oh yeah, forget about it. Forget about it, man. But hey, there's this is a really important day in Canadian history. Um, because we finally we are finally a uh, power to be taken seriously. Um, we we've, we've, we 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 haven't been serious for a long time. I don't know if you know that. Uh, we've not been serious. We've been uh, a middle power. Uh, other ways of talking about, you know, general unseriousness, um, but we're finally being serious. Um, finally, yeah. after all this time, we're no longer North America's uh, North America's clownish little brother. Um, people, we're gonna, people are gonna take us seriously from here on out. Yeah, because uh, um, because we're buying um, eighty eight F thirty fives in fourteen tranches. <laughs> Why not? 
I know it's interesting with those numbers. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever. Those are just, they're just numbers. I'm not sure how they were arrived at. I think they're probably just arbitrary. That's the amount of F-35s that we need. We need 88 of them. Well, look, if we got 87, you know, then uh, (coughs) that that Arctic, mm -mm -mm, no longer ours. You know, the Russians are going to be marching all up and down the Arctic. We get any fewer than 88 F-35s. No, it's... When I'm thinking about uh, when I'm thinking about military hardware that we need to spend the equivalent of uh, I don't know like what would definitely pay for universal dental care in this in this country um, when I'm thinking about the type of military hardware we need to spend that kind of money on to defend our Arctic borders I think the best thing we can do is buy the military hardware that's like uh, usually takes off from an aircraft carrier. Uh, and historically has had major problems operating in sub-zero climate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, they didn't say anything. You, you can't fly it in the rain, but they didn't say anything about the snow, all right? That's right. What I think is, is snow, but uh, frozen rain, you know? What, what I think is very funny is, this is from Global News, See, experts point to many different possibilities, among them sharpening recruitment efforts, modernizing NORAD, enhancing Canada's military capabilities in the Arctic, and updating the 1950s era military bases and offices to be more energy efficient in fitting with the government's emissions reductions goals. We are the dream nice. of Elizabeth Warren. We're greening the military. Sometime, <laughs> sometime in the near future, an F-35 uh, that is... You know that that will cost the same amount as uh, I don't know, like a like a new high school in uh, Cowichan Valley. Uh, probably more than that, actually. A new F thirty five will take off well over uh, that. Several high schools. Well over that. Several high schools uh, will take off from Yellowknife, um, and because uh, a certain part of its operating system has not been updated properly, uh, it will immediately crash into the tundra. Um, it will then be repaired by sentient polar bears who will uh, get into the F-35 and fly it directly into the parliament building in Ottawa. This is what they call blowback. <laughs> and you know how we're going to know it's our F-35 and not some other countries? is It's going to have a, a $750,000 tactical coexist bunker, bumper sticker on the back. Exactly, <laughs> um, yes. It's, but also yeah. the oh, does it does it does it change your opinion that the the polar bears flying the F thirty five into the Parliament building were both women? <laughs> I bet you didn't think they were women, did you? Yeah, but uh, you only thought uh, dude polar bears could fly an F thirty five into the Parliament building. I mean, you could see, and just in this same article, you can absolutely see some of these people just salivating. Now that there's an actual, like, now that there's a war in Ukraine, that, like, the security oh, yeah. architecture is broken down, you can see this is from Richard Shamuka, senior fellow on defense policy with McDonald Laurier Institute, says, uh. well, new, yeah, just getting interviewed in the Globe and Mail as well, just like, well, I guess it's you guys now. You guys, is time to shine. Um said, while nuclear submarines might be contentious, they shouldn't be ruled out off the bat. It's certainly a lightning rod for political debate and criticism because they are nuclear submarines, he said. At the same oh time, fucking God. if we are actually going to be serious, and that's the thing, this is our opportunity to be serious, because we were you know, being you know, clown babies before this. Yeah, exactly. These, these guys love to get serious. That's why they wear um, bow ties. Getting serious, as ever, only means ever. It only ever means increasing our ability, uh, increasing our number 
of uh, sort of options and our propensity to kill. That's seriousness. Yes. Uh, nothing that is else. Seriousness. Um, yeah. So exactly. At the same time, if we're actually going to be serious, which again, we know we want to be about confronting all of the threats and nuclear submarines are a major threat or a major concern in the Arctic, we would have to consider our own. Yep. Well, we need to get more until everyone has them. These are, right. A nuclear submarine doesn't necessarily mean a nuclear equipped submarine. It just means a nuclear powered submarine. But it certainly is uh, a nuclear reactor just fl- just flitting around in like, I don't know, the Bay of Fundy or whatever. Just making sure we get the fun- we just put some nuclear reactors there um, in a long tube, uh, potentially getting shot at by stuff. Yeah, we need to run silent and we need to run deep. Uh, it's it's like we I mean we have been covering these guys on 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 this show the uh for like a year now. Mm-hmm. And and like you said the war in Ukraine has been an incredible gift uh to yeah to to basically these ghouls. Like I, I remember you know like when the when the invasion first started I did post uh this invasion Putin's invasion of Ukraine is giving a gift to the worst ghouls on the planet and yep. this is exactly what I was talking about it. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. You can see fucking dollar signs s- in their in fucking like the MLI's eyes as soon as they were like, "Oh, yeah. this is happening." But also, right? Absolutely. How s- many? How many? How many? Um, you know, how many times did we cover them? Um, basically, just browbeating the Canadian public, and then and then publishing weepy internal white papers about how like no one takes them seriously, and the Canadian public's appetite for war and uh, military procurement is, uh, you know. Is, is low uh, and everybody's everybody's cucked and and now it's just like now they get their wish now everybody has war fever so well it's you know why go. it's because our last experiences of war fever have been uh, the, the quagmires awful absolutely and, yeah you know and this is this and is another confusing too oh we're um, you know we're carpet bombing Libya I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's like it's and one of the other gifts, right? It's like, yeah, it's well, uh you you this is the other another sort of casualty I think of the war in Ukraine is yeah, the anti-war movement has also just been completely marginalized. Um yeah. yeah. Thanks Putin. Yeah, absolutely. Just a massive gift to everyone in all these countries who's main in, in in sort of countries that are sort of, you know, allied with Canada um in, in his own and so on, just people whose business is killing and 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 directing killing have absolutely gone gangbusters from this. And you know, can, yes. and you can and even in Canada it's like, well, I guess we need nuclear submarines now. We need to drive up recruitment. We need to do we need to get 88 F35s for yeah, it's just so so we can be serious and play with the big boys and all this, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, it's that's just what it's going to be. It's incredible how little a lot of uh, this procurement has to do with the current conflict in Ukraine, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, just on like a tactical level, like like even just the F thirty fives. These are um, these are fighter jets that usually take off from an aircraft carrier, of which we have how many aircraft carriers do we have, Riley? Like. Do we have zero now or one? Let's see, hang <laughs> I on. I can't remember. Uh, let's see. Aircraft carriers of the Royal Canadian Navy. Um, let's see. HMS Bonaventure. Nope, that's been decommissioned. HMCS Magnificent. Nope, that's been decommissioned. HMCS Warrior. 
that's been yeah that was decommissioned in the in 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 the the 40s um uh-huh. yeah let's see hmm yeah it doesn't Hmm. It doesn't yeah. seem like we've got a so, lot of them. But I mean, the thing, right? I the, mean, the, of, course, of, course, of course, they don't have to take off from an aircraft carrier. They can, you know, whatever. But but their their main purpose is like, uh, is is basically like tactical strikes, fast tactical strikes and air support. And uh, all you need to do to know that this is a bad idea is look at an article published in uh an Australian defense uh, magazine, which I think we should probably link Mm -hmm. in the description um, about Australia's trials and tribulations with the F-35 immediately after procurement, which um, I won't go through the whole thing, but which basically involve um, the company that makes the soft, you know, Lockheed Martin software apparently is super buggy. Uh, These things are impossible sometimes to maintain. And there's talk in the Australian military that uh, this, this fleet of jets that they bought that they spent an enormous amount of money on is going to become obsolete within uh, 10 to 15 years. Uh-huh. Oops. Yeah. Well, you know, you and know. if people, th- if people think that isn't going to happen with these fucking Canadian F-35s, they're uh, insane. Well, you know what? Um, I mean, given, given all of the, you know, actual air war, we are actually uh, fighting, uh, given the no-fly zone that we've been enforcing, I mean, it's pretty clear that you know NATO countries need to uh, step up and make sure they spend two percent of GDP. Speaking of which, speaking of which, yes, you might think that oh well, can I mean you wouldn't think from listening to this show, but you might think you know judge it based on like I don't know a rudimentary understanding of what the various parties on political spectrums should do, and if you're new to Canada, you might think that this one party would do that. Um, you might think we might have some kind of, I don't know, um, party on the left that is anti-war and infinite defense budgets and sort of endless foreign policy adventures, presumably, right? Yeah, it's sort of a counterbalance to um, the, uh, the the just monolithic power of um, think tanks and, uh, and the liberal government, right? Well... Guess what? Uh, they finally have a chance, as opposed to being, um, you know, you might say, uh, kingmakers on each individual piece of legislation that goes through. They finally have traded that power um, for a uh, chance to enter a confidence and supply agreement, something that you don't get as often in Canada, but you get all the time in the UK. Basically, it just means we're not in coalition. We don't have any ministers in your government, but we've agreed we're basically going to vote with you as a matter of policy. Um, NDP mm. entering confidence supply, confidence and supply agreement with the Liberals. Um, this is, of course, their chance to... God, what fucking Jugmeet Singh said about um, about military spending just really, really got me. Uh, what did he say? Uh. He said, we think, we think it needs to increase, but we think 2% is arbitrary. What does that fucking mean? What does that mean? Uh, well, that, that, so he's talking. He's talking about. He's talking about hitting um, suggested NATO uh, spending as a function of um, as a percentage of GDP, right? Like, so yeah. So NATO. One of the requirements of NATO is that you have spend two percent of your uh, G, of, of your sort of total budget, your GDP, on defense. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the United States spends shit tons, and Germany has long been like you know what, we're just not going to do it and everything has been fine. Again, I don't think that things would have been different given in the last couple of months if Germany spent more on defense, but everyone seems to have kind of come to an agreement amongst themselves that, well, now we need to spend more on defense because the chances of there being a 22-minute long war where we can, you know, at least get some of those F-35s like 
a few of them can uh, can be launched, I suppose. Um, <laughs> you know, we need to make sure we get that spending up. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just imagining, like, yeah, again, the uh, the amount of money it would take to institute like a pretty comprehensive pharmacare package or build, um, you know, government assisted housing getting vaporized by like surface to air missiles, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, at least you get to launch the missile in seconds. Like. Um, yeah. So all of this is of course uh, in the service of a 22 minute long war. Um, so just yeah. said, it's clear with the increased demands on Canadian on the Canadian military, additional support is needed. And here's how he says, we're going to need to, you know, buy F-35s wokely. We believe that there should be increased support for the tools that they need, as well as staffing. We've seen a drop in personnel, and we ask our military to do lots of things, like going in to help during the pandemic in seniors' homes. So we know that they need help and support, and we're okay with that. We think that's the right thing to do, but we don't support the 2% requirement of NATO. So essentially, what we've said is, look... 2% that come on that would be like 16 billion more dollars on defense for example if we wanted to you know get up to oh sorry 2.3% because you don't really count like soldiers pensions for example as part of defense spending as far as nato is concerned so you need to be about you know 2.3%. Mm-hmm. So that would be like 16 billion dollars to get to that required level, right? Mhm. Yeah. So it's not like you know the NDP is going to support for example spending 16 billion dollars on F35s. No, that's crazy. That is crazy talk. Um, In my mind, it's uh, Homer Simpson, and he's saying dental plan, and NATO needs aces. <laughs> well, like the ghost of Kiev is just one. Now, I'm, I, I know that those any any astute listeners out there will know that I'm doing a bit of a uh, a kind of a, a, a bit of intellectual sleight of hand here because that sixteen billion dollars for the F thirty five doesn't get paid out at once, whereas I believe sixteen billion is the increase in the annual budget that would be required to hit uh, approximately two point three percent. So you know, uh, mm-hmm. I just I just like when the numbers line up, even if you have to squish them a little bit. So. Let's talk yeah. about this, right? Finally, the NDP is in power somewhere. Somewhere in Canada has an NDP person in power, and it's in a confidence and supply agra- arrangement with the Liberals. So we're <laughs> finally going to get to see what the NDP would look like if they could really, you know, get their legislative agenda in. I right. assume that they aren't actually in power anywhere else. I don't think so. I mean, wouldn't be BC, of course, because there are a lot of problems in BC that they would purport to solve. Um yeah, BC's been doing some stuff that I think that the federal NDP would be super mad about, you know? <laughs> like uh, deploying militarized RCMP to uh, shut down land defender protests and, and what have you, what not, and, and bungling a safe supply uh, uh, mandate, no, et cetera. They, et cetera. They, they wouldn't allow bunglers. Come on. No, not in the NDP. It's what, they bunglers? Have a strict no- Come on. Yeah, no, no it says, bunglers allowed. The supply and confidence agreement. This is um, this is Trudeau. Uh, the supply and confidence agreement starts today and will be in place until the end of this parliament in 2025. What this means is that during this uncertain time, the government can function with pre- predictability and stability, present and implement budgets, and get things done for Canadians. Trudeau said the deal is one he thought long and hard about. It was not an easy decision, he said. With so much instability around us, Canadians need stability. You know what? We need Crazy. stability, uh, you know, and that means uh, that means basically. Anti- so go ahead. Yeah, the antidote to instability is stability. Yeah, 
Uh, mono means one and rail means rail. And uh, I love this. Certainly. This so, you know what it is? I love leaders. I love a fucking leader who's not afraid to uh, just call it as it is. You know, we're full of instability. We need stability. Case closed. I'm glad somebody said it. Also, that sort of suggests that what, like the liberals haven't been able to really sort of address many of the problems in terms of, say, energy transition, safe supply, like indigenous rights, uh, or, Hmm. you know, just dealing with the cost of living or the cost of housing. They've been in power since 2015, but they've never quite been stable enough to deliver on to solve any of these problems. It's always just been a little too wobbly because they've been doing it on a hoverboard and the NDP are helping them get off the hoverboard and get down to the serious (laughs) business of governing apparently yeah exactly they have to deliver this tray of drinks and they're on a hoverboard <laughs> and oh no the, the margaritas keep sloshing over the rim yeah, look, oh no canada is never going to get its um it, it's a, a pyramid of marie antoinette champagne glasses filled by a bumbling waiter we need a waiter exactly. with a firm hand laszlo's pyramid of champagne flutes So they say the NDP said we want to be independent enough to be able to be critical and want to be able to oppose and call for more. But we're going to talk. We're going to talk first about how this uh, deal came into being, or at least how they said it came into being. And then we're going to talk about the actual bits that they agreed on, as well as going to spoil this for you. Housing. going to talk about what they said to do about housing. (laughs) And I'm sure you can tell by my tone that it's going to be. It's going to be great. Um, oh, man. <laughs> so, here, this is Susan, Susan Delacourt has essentially written a, um, a piece of court journalism um, telling you the sort of like a ghost of Kiev style story of, of the, how two new dads uh, were able to uh, forge, uh, a, you know, what was really born, you know, with these two with the new babies was actually the new baby was stability and they called it stability. So uh, she writes, stability. when Sing's baby girl arrived in early January, Trudeau placed a courtesy call that opened up discussions about the long term cooperation deal with the NDP. Um by the time the two leaders had that early January conversation, any bad blood from the election had largely dissipated by itself, I imagine, and was replaced by a genuine mm-hmm. rapport, presumably because Trudeau knew the NDP were no threat to him. Uh, both sides I'm fucking say, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was there any bad blood from the election? Did the NDP fundamentally credit, uh, challenge the liberals on like anything? Um, well, I mean, they did. At all? I, sup- I think they may have... They may have said, I respectfully disagree with the liberals. And they would yeah. said, ah, nothing is working. And then provi- provided no fir- firm alternative themselves. Housing is too expensive, they said, NDP-ishly. I- whereas the conservatives said, <laughs> housing is too expensive conservatively. Yes. yes. So, <sighs> uh, yeah, but also just this, again, this, this, this sort of little human moment that appears to be very, um, I don't know, I don't fucking believe it. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, that, oh. No, well, but, but here's the thing, Riley. Like, um, you know, stories, let's talk about storytelling. Like, like sometimes uh, what some people might characterize as a lie or mm-hmm. uh, misinformation is actually uh, part of a rich cultural tapestry called storytelling. And this is part of Canadian storytelling. So, uh, you know, you can be simple and be like, oh, this sounds like bullshit. Um, I'm not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. Or you can uh, accept the greater truth that it is um, part of our national myth making and storytelling. And, <laughs> that, and that to accept it is to be doing your patriotic duty. 
And have you read another article from someone about how um, the ghost of Kiev is in many ways uh, more real for not being real? I, I certainly have. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, we lo- people yeah. love to turn hey, those there's out. There's a new type of misinformation on the block. And, uh, you know, if you criticize it, you're doing a racism. Why not? Why not? <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. right. You, you know what? Uh, it's yeah, seventeen thousand uh, Russian troops dead or prisoners of war, and it's not um, you know propaganda for one side in a war. It's uh, myth. It's storytelling. It's uh, it's it's a cultural activity. Um, it's it's Wait, much look, like listen, you know man, going to a traditional dance. Exactly. It's like um, making like a, a, a soup that has been made in your family for generations and generations. Um, did the soup have a German name at one point? Sure it did. Um, but that's all in the past now. It doesn't matter. That's you know? This is another example where the people who are most who the, the, the only people who are willing who are aren't willing to like say mm, that seems a bit suspect. It's not the hard nosed military analysts like it's not like I'm like Michael Kaufman or whatever. It's just like no, the, no. it's the college liberals <laughs> or the, the liberals who've <laughs> been made by college. who are just like, yeah. uh, well, maybe in, in a way it's more of a it's you can enhance your own you know, uh, a sort of cultural uh, rapport if you engage with this on its own terms and storytelling. We're getting distracted. We're getting distracted from 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 the cooperation deal because this is going to change a lot in Canada, just so you know, yes. right? Yes. Two, two yes. new dads giving each other a call, being like, hey, why don't we just, you know, put aside our differences and you support us in the implementation of our entire agenda? And Jugmeet Singh yeah. was like, you got it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> From dad to dad, I'll do whatever you say and give up literally any leverage that we ever could possibly have had. Dad's power. You know, they say having a, a child changes you. And I think this is um, I think this is proof positive. So they, say, they say we don't have to see eye to eye on everything, said one liberal source. But can we at least find a way on the things that are blindingly obvious that we agree on? Like increased support for the military, for the tools that they need, because the personnel, <laughs> military personnel have been dropping in on seniors during the pandemic, which is good. And the NDP is the party that supports the good things. Yes, that's right. So this is also from Delacorte's uh, article. So what Trudeau had in mind, also in the liberal platform, was a progressive leaning agenda. So, you know, if you wanted to look where it's tilting, the agenda itself is slightly, you know, it's standing a little crooked um, to the progressive. It's eyes. You know, you might think that the agenda is looking right at you, straight ahead, straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. But if you zoom in, uh, you'll notice that its eyes are just, are just like cast slightly to the left, you know? Mm-hmm. Looking a, a little bit to the left. A budget askance. Um, askance. And he said, of course, the it has to be... Is looking askance. It has to be built over the long term in several budgets. You know, like every major um, social like, like social or um, like economic program is. Slowly over several budgets as opposed to all at once by the use of wielding political power. Yep. You know, like how the NHS was phased in over 20 years? <laughs> 
Great. Cool. When did it become like receive? I mean, I know the answer to, I know the real answer to this, right? But it's just so astonishing that despite all evidence to the contrary, there's just this received wisdom that, yeah, well, if you want to do something, you got to do it over several budgets. You can't just start giving people dental or pharmacare. You need to start, you know, with giving like, four people dental and then up to six and so on with adding two every year until everyone's covered. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're looking at, you know, okay, the Chinese Communist Party uh, famously has enacted many five-year plans, right? So what we've got here is we've got liberal democracy looking at that and saying, whoa, 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 slow down, buddy. What if we added more bureaucracy than the Chinese Communist Party and just like, you know, kind of kind of extended the process a little bit, a little more means testing. Well, also, just being careful. Also, what if instead, what if we had no idea if we were still going to be in charge in three or four years and any progress, incremental progress that we make, which I don't know, would piss off the people who are forced to use a crappy means tested program and not really rally anyone else around the cause because maybe they're paying more taxes, but they don't have any more benefits from it. What if, you know, we can rally them around the idea that in four years, if they keep voting for us every time and the polling stays consistent on that issue, then eventually maybe someone they know might get cheaper dental care slightly if they live in a certain catchment. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He says, no, that sounds smart. He says, but the, the, so the liberal platform is a progressive leaning agenda that was to be built over the long term in several, meaning four budgets. He also knew that some of the NDP's policy goals had a similar timeline. The Venn diagram had a big middle, a liberal source said. Oh, did it? I wonder why. <laughs> Do you think that should like you know prompt any soul searching among a party that's supposed to be contesting elections as distinct from that other one, who sees it as kind of their main opponent in most seats? No, good politics are when um, both parties uh, are convinced that they are as far left as uh, the country could possibly tolerate, and they agree on absolutely everything. So NDP was struck by how much Trudeau had studied and analyzed their election platform for overlapping pieces, not just the 2021 version, but the 2019 one, too. So, oh, my God, are they going to realize the thing that everybody knows? Like (laughs) these brain geniuses going to figure out (laughs) the thing that everybody's been talking about for the last, what, like three or four years. There is basically no fundamental difference between the NDP's policy and and the liberal policy. Like there's one piece of good legislation in here, but like, I don't, I mean, even then we'll we'll talk about the problems with it. So let's start with healthcare because that's got the big, there's several several characteristic areas, right? It's healthcare, (coughs) housing, which they call affordability, uh, climate change, Mm. labor, reconciliation with indigenous peoples and election reform. Now, the two mm-hmm. things that the NDP really, really wanted in this one uh, were healthcare, a new healthcare, specifically dental, and an ability to move towards proportional representation. So, mm-hmm. with the pro- we'll talk about the election uh, one later because it's very funny what they ended up getting. It's like very funny what they ended up getting. Um, but uh, the new dental care program, right? Okay, so number one, yeah. can't phase this in right away, right? You know. Oh, no, no, no. Why? No, absolutely. No, no, no. no. You, mean, uh-uh. you couldn't have like, you know, 20 year olds making uh, more than $30,000 a year getting dental. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, we just bought 88 F35s and those things are expensive, guys. Like, we got to pay for those. Uh, yeah, come on. Come on. Let's look. You, you, 
when you're you have like you know two teeth left you know you salute um the uh very progressive f-35s that are going to be just doing doing donuts uh in the airspace over rideau hall um so here's the thing in, in a way in a way um the f-35s if, if canada if canada is a big a big bear's head uh the f-35s are like 88 sharp little teeth and you wouldn't want our national uh, animal to have no teeth to fight off, say, like a bigger animal, right? That's right. So uh, the real dental plan is a mouthful of F-35s, baby. So, so guess what, right? So the plan, so number one, this, look, let's just like say right off the bat, this is not going to be implemented for everyone ever. And it's not going to be implemented for its full complement of recipients right away. So look, basically, it would uh, it could have an effect on roughly six on on a few Canadians, right? For example, families with annual incomes of less than ninety thousand dollars who also lack dental insurance, and it's not as though any provinces or municipalities also have dental insurance plans already. Mm. No, 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 no. Those don't exist at all. you know, so like already we're getting like two different kinds of, um, of of exclusions, right? Because if you're receiving social assistance, for example, in Quebec, you get free dental already. So if you're yes. a family who's not high earning and you already have dental assistance from Quebec, you don't need dental assistance from the federal government. Okay, that's another person we can cut out of this program. And so welcome Problem now solved. to a patchwork of strain of, of inconsistent and inconsistently applied programs at the federal, local and provincial level. What we've done is we instead of bringing them all into one roof and then just having dental care or, for example, transforming dental care along the lines of along the lines of healthcare provision where you or provinces or, or whatever gives out that, that their commission healthcare and they and the, the, the federal government pays for it. No, we're just going to have like these different levels of roughly inconsistent policies where depending on what street or what side of a border you live on, you're either going to you know have or not have teeth based on how much money you have. In terms of let's try and make it so everyone has teeth, it seems to be a completely fucking stupid idea. Um, so but here's the thing. It rest- the the program is restricted to families earning less than ninety thousand, and okay. if you earn less than seventy thousand, you don't even need to do a copay. <laughs> uh-huh. What do they call this again? Uh, universal dental care is that is that what it's being? Uh, well, it's okay. certainly call- being called a dental care proposal, right? Okay. <laughs> It's certainly what it is for middle and low income Canadian families. And also, that's the other thing, right? Um, you know, everyone's definitely going to like, in, I'll give you an example. You know, a, a country that does have uh, nationally subsidized dental care, sort of, is Britain. Uh, Macedonia. Yes. Well, but Britain, Britain the, has uh, the Republic of North Macedonia. Oh, yeah. Couldn't couldn't call it normal Macedonia. No, Britain has yeah. some elements of dental care that are covered, right? But it's right. covered by the NHS. But Dental care is only provided privately. And so if you call a dentist, they'll say, sorry, we're not taking new, new NHS uh, patients at the moment. Would you like to book a private appointment? Ah, I see. <laughs> I see. Do we have a so plan? So what you're saying is we're, we're, headed, we're headed for a British future in terms of our uh, dental health. It's going to be great. great. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. But a all- big book of British and Canadian smiles. 
<laughs> they say about six and a half million Canadians are believed to be eligible to the plan, um, which is to decrease by the six point three million due to improving labor market conditions. But you, oh my God, yes, <laughs> improving labor market conditions. But also, right? Think about inflation, right? Um, if you are like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not an inflation hawk, right? A lot, inflation is in many ways can be often be a good thing. It can be a sign of um, of increasing uh, wages for workers, which is good. It means it cut down on inflation. You have to cut down on profits, not on wages and so on. Also, it means that for the very indebted, it makes because the value of your debt is denominated in a certain number of, of dollars. The purchasing power of those dollars goes down. The value of that debt doesn't necessarily go up, right? Um, right. So you can... I don't know if you got you're in credit card debt or whatever. Inflation actually can be very good for you. Um, Canada is one of the most personally indebted countries in the world. But the other thing is, it's not like they're indexing their uh, levels of um, where you get care to inflation. So it means yeah. that that if you're earning eighty five thousand dollars a year now, right? Your family is maybe it's like one member earns sixty thousand dollars, another member earns twenty five thousand dollars, right? The fact of mm-hmm. inflation means that without your purchasing power going up, you may in fact end up earning more, and then you'll be pushed over the limit for the program. So you're no longer going to qualify for dental. So your purchasing power is going to go down, and you're going to get kicked out of the residualized means-tested um, uh, program without your means actually improving in any meaningful way. Yes. <laughs> Don't you love means testing? <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> Um, so good. It's so good. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because no one's going to have to contend with this until like 2024. Yeah. Because right. then that's forever away. Only so. children under 12 are going to be eligible for this program this year. And in 2023, we're going to bump the age up to 18 and then everyone over 65 and people living with disabilities. So if you need dental care now and you're, okay. I don't know, 23 and able-bodied um, and you're earning, I don't know, $18,000 a year or whatever, you... Just take some paracetamol for three years. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, them's the breaks, I guess. Uh, better work harder at your job. Uh, not too hard. Not really you don't want to sure. push yourself above that limit. Yeah, exactly. Not too much. Yeah. You don't want to work too hard. That's the thing. No, no. You got to slack off just enough. Um, yeah. So you th- got to get the balance right. Not unlike, not unlike the liberals trying to take this pyramid of champagne flutes on a hoverboard. I mean, everybody is doing their own balancing act in the year of the smile. That's what I've learned. That's what we're calling it. No, so here's the thing, right? This incredible um, universal, quote unquote, dental care program. Look, that's only one of the many fantastic planks of this patio of progress (laughs) uh, that has been laid by the uh, liberals and NDP. So we also have Pharmacare. Specifically, a oh, commitment to work that on it. Good. That, nice. <laughs> what, yeah. What's what's this good? Look, come on. We already have. Well, we already worked out this incredible dental care program. What do you want us to do? Work out another program? Yeah. We're getting to it. Oh my god. We are gonna have a passion for beginning. <laughs> because the thing is, whenever um, a, a, a piece of legislation is agreed to in principle, it then there's a white paper and then it happens and you know what else the ndp they're going to um call they're going to trigger an election if the liberals do not um 
work on a universal national pharmacare program because that's very much falsifiable. You can be like, hey, you're not working on it. And be like, we are. We've got Jim on it. Jim's working on it. He's going to be working on it for a Jim's fucking while. Yeah. <sighs> We've produced anyway. uh, reams and reams of data. That's right. And it says we need to do more work. We need Look, if Jim's going to afford Pharmacare, he's going to need to do a lot more work <laughs> on the Pharmacare legislation. We're going to do everyone in the country. We're going to get them a job that pays $89,899 a year working on all of this legislation. <laughs> it's going to be zero unemployment. Everyone is wonks. Um, they say also a commitment to additional ongoing investments to shore up provincial healthcare systems by hiring more doctors, nurses, and mental health supports. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. How much are you investing? When? <laughs> nope. No. Well, Riley, I, they made a commitment. Yeah. They, they committed to additional and well, ongoing. They're, yeah. They're committed to investigating uh, on, ongoingly. Yeah, they're Additionally. Look, they're they're absolutely definitely going to do that as well, and also not in a way that just like makes old money look like new money, um, or just shuffles <laughs> pieces around a board, or does what something that happens in the UK, which is they'll say like, okay, we have consolidated six hospitals with a capacity of a thousand beds each into one super hospital with a capacity of four and a half thousand beds, thereby saving this district that the super hospital is supposed to serve some hundreds of millions of pounds. Therefore, we have actually funded you to the tune of a several hundred thousand, several hundred million pounds additionally, without needing to give you any new money. I, well, I wonder if we're going to see something like that in additional ongoing investments is finding efficiencies and calling it new money. All right. I want to, I want to get to the, Oh, I want to get to one that Our really favorite annoys one. me. Our fa- yeah, it's housing. One. Yeah, yeah, housing. Yeah, the 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 just a just a little thing, just a little uh, little facet of Canadian life, you know. Yeah, they're going to launch a housing accelerator fund. Anyway, I looked at the Liberal platform, and they said they're going to invest four billion dollars in a housing accelerator fund, which will grow the annual housing supply in the country's largest cities every year, creating great. a target of one hundred thousand new middle class homes by twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. That's great. Uh, did you see the um, Did you see that interview with the uh, Toronto real estate guy who owns something like three hundred thousand homes? Oh, thirty thousand. Yeah, a third of them are going to that guy. Or thirty. Or yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The guy who was like, uh, uh, millennials don't want to own their own homes. They would rather overpay to uh, live in my homes. Yeah. You know, that guy. We're just going to keep building homes and then he uh, can take care of them because he's already so good at taking care of tens of thousands of houses. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, he's already, he's right. He's found his calling um, and and he's going to help. I don't know. I mean... The housing accelerator fund is going to build. It's going to increase housing supply. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to tackle who owns it, though. And then it's. Is there anything about um, cooling the market out at all? Well, they said uh, they're going to end the. They're going to tackle the financialization of the housing market by the end of 2023. How are they doing? How? Um, well, I imagine they're going to come in low and wrap the knees. And then if you oh, sort of okay, twist, okay. 
you know, then yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll come down. You know, I mean, it's a, that's a classic rugby tackle, basically, right? Um, right, right. Or if it's, I would do a, I, I would do like a judo leg sweep. You know, like a, a classic Seagal move. <laughs> no, it's um. You know, or you could do like a football tackle, right? Where if you're playing FIFA and you hit square, you like slide in, you might get a red card, but like you also might like, you know, get the ball uh, away from Anton Griezmann. Um, yeah, exactly. T- just, exactly. Just tackling the financialization of the housing market by the end of 20... 20- How? <laughs> by what? And what does it fucking mean? What does it mean? It doesn't fucking mean anything. Tackle it. I, I don't know. They're going to be like, hey, this is bad. Uh-oh. Like, are you going to address uh, the link between like, um, are you going to address <laughs> the link between, I don't know, like originate to distribute mortgages? Are you going to address the link between like the CMHC just just like, expanding it, mortgages? It will it will ensure to like, you know, those like sold by uh, American firms like that happened in the early to mid 2000s. Are they going to tackle the transformation of the CMHC from a, con- from a, a crown company that creates public housing into one that just subsidizes and sells loans? For the building of public housing at a prof- at the profits of developers, no, they're just going to build more housing. Oh. That's just going to again be like partly developers, partly social, but again owned mostly by private landlords. And then they're going to how are you going to tackle it? What does tackle? God, fuck you! I just I and yeah, I mean, this I, is the I, part of it that gonna, makes me the maddest. Bust up reits, you know? Is that is that on the agenda? Is that on the menu? Like. Like we could outlaw RAITs in uh, in in Canada, that would be cool. Uh, well, be we're, we're gonna tackle each and every one of the RAITs. We're gonna wrap the knees and twist, and then down they yeah. go. <laughs> we're gonna hit square and slide in. God nice. damn! Nice. Tackling, but uh, yeah. tackling the financialization of the housing market by the end by the end of twenty twenty three as well, starting at yeah, like bullshit, fucking bullshit. Yeah, for, from for starting from a blank whiteboard, you're gonna be like, okay, all right, ideas, everybody. We're gonna tackle the financialization of the housing market by the end of 2023. There's no minister in charge of this. We have no specific agenda by which to do so. We haven't named the cause of the financialization of the housing market. We have no budget. And we're not really allowed to change the law. What are we gonna do? It's so fucking cool. It's so cool because, you know, like I, I get to experience a little of this personally, you know, I'm getting evicted from my apartment in July by my beautiful landlord who I would love to hug and kiss um, the next time I see him. Uh, and I've been looking at apartments in my neighborhood, which I don't want to move out of in Montreal and then the adjacent neighborhoods and rent in Montreal has almost doubled in some places. So that's fucking cool. That's that's really good. I really, it's too bad that they didn't tackle the financialization of the housing market at the end of 2021 or at the beginning of 2022. But you know, I, I guess you can't win them all. You know, mm-hmm. I could live under uh, the Champlain Bridge um, until the end of 2023, I guess, and wait for them to tackle this. <laughs> Once it's tackled, then then maybe I can make a good decision about um, where to spend the fucking 75 percent of my income on a place to have a roof over my head. I love it. Well, it really well fucking rocks. You know, it's 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 the the housing market, the financialized housing market has a very um it's able to deke really well. And so, you know, you start yeah. diving one way, you know, cuz you're like 
Uh, this guy, this housing market, it's a wing. What's it going to, it's like tiny. What's it going to do? I'm, I'm a fucking eight. Let's go. And you dive in ready to wrap <laughs> the legs. And what do you know? It's gone off the right foot and it's off to the try line. So <laughs> bye-bye. Uh, the housing bye-bye. market once again <laughs> fails. You failed to tackle it. Damn it. It's running around. It's doing a little dance. It's spiking the football over and over again in an endless loop in the end zone. Come on, we're doing different sports here. Come on. All right. I don't know. Football, soccer, whatever. Um, All I know is I'm mad. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is I'm I'm mad as hell and I'm I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm just going to keep on taking it. There's also something called the rental construction (laughs) financing initiatives, which are like low cost loans. Low cost loans to developers and <laughs> landlords, so that they can that they can also build, so that they uh, can build rocks, rental housing. That's good. Please, someone, somebody, think of the fucking developers. Please, yep. they're hurting so bad. Their Airbnb properties over the last two years were not performing well. They're changing. Which is what why counts? it now costs. Sorry, go ahead. Which is why it now costs uh, almost double the rent of an apartment in my neighborhood because uh, some little fucking uh local uh business tyrant uh wasn't a al- wasn't able to charge four hundred dollars a night to stay in a place that would have cost two hundred and fifty dollars a month when uh when i first moved to montreal very cool very good well Let's rental construction money. financing initiative which is like government-backed loans um They've increased the width of their definition of affordable housing. So it has to be like affordable housing has to be like, you know, more, more to be count as affordable. And you get no developer ever games the definition of affordable housing ever. Um, no, but hey, you know what they are so. giving away? They're introducing a one time $500 top up to Canada housing benefit in 2022. Wait, what? <laughs> a $500 one time top up to Canada housing benefit in 2022, which if the cost of living challenges remain next year, could be renewed. So up to a thousand bucks if you're on the Canada housing benefit. Uh-huh. Maybe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you think? What uh-huh. do you think of that? I love it when a far left-wing party like the NDP joins another far left-wing party like the Canadian Liberals and they come up with these incredible, um, like I, I would call it almost like socialist technology, right? Mm-hmm. This is like this is like on par with um, the Soviets building Magnitogorsk. It's just is, just forward thinking. A lot of people are going to balk at this. Five hundred dollars. It's a lot of money. You know, well, up to a thousand maybe like next a, year if ca- challenges remain. I know. I mean, that's probably a fraction of what it costs uh, to upgrade. Like I, I don't know, uh, do the OS update on the F thirty five guidance systems that are mandatory every six months. You know. So here's the thing. <laughs> Big sacrifice. They're probably not going to tackle the um, financialization of the housing market, but their next section is called tackling the climate climate crisis. They're going to tackle that one, you know. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. A second ball is now in play, and that that I don't know. Maybe the the other team's fullback is now running at you, and you're like, look, the uh, the winger he broke my ankle, but this guy, I'm going to tackle him. And so they're going to have, of course, number one, they're going to advance measures that they've already had in place mm-hmm. to achieve mm-hmm. significant emissions reduction by 2030 compared to 2005. So great, fine. Okay. okay. Um okay. We're going to continue on our journey to net zero by 2050. So 
So basically, that was like the NDP were like, you know what? In terms of carbon decarbonization, we're just going to continue to do what we've been doing, continue to advance those measures because it's been basically flawless. Uh, we had no notes for you. Um, yeah. 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 Perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, they're going to move forward with t- three things, right? Moving forward. There are three things in here that just we're going to move forward with what we're already doing. They're going to move forward with the creation of a clean jobs training center. They're going to move forward with the just transition legislation. Um, and then they're going to move forward on home energy efficiency programs um, that mm. are basically like, yeah, mm. insulate, right? So we're going to do what we were already planning to do. All right. But here's... Hey, I'm interested in this... Oh, I'm just interested in the Clean Jobs Training Center. There's a, uh, there's one of them. They're going to build one of them. Uh, well, you know, they're also. I mean, there's a lot. There's a a, a lot of uh, real estate in Calgary, right? Uh, and by the way, that was uh, a Liberal Party platform element. Just 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 to be very clear, these are mostly Liberal, <laughs> um, Liberal Party. Uh, 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 you know, platforms. And I'll say, I bet you any money, a clean jobs training center is not going to have a fucking building. It's going to be a website where you can like do an online course. Yes. Yeah. Recycling for computer programmers. Um, (laughs) The other, the other things they're doing, right. uh, Is they're going to develop a plan to phase out public financing of the fossil fuel sector. Mm. So, you know, check, watch here. Watch this space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, Be good. Yeah, because we're going to... We are going to do that. We're gonna, we're go, we promise we're going to figure out a plan at some point. Somebody stop us. <laughs> um, it could, could, is there any way, right, that we could, um, that we could like, not have you know, federal subsidies uh, for fossil fuels? Um, I don't know, but you know what we're going to do? Because the NDP have joined in a coalition with us, we, the liberals, are going to deliver on, again, our own manifesto promise to eliminate subsidies in public financing for fossil fuel. Incredible. It's, it's, it's harder to find... Incredible. You know, the, it's harder to find stuff in here that isn't in the liberal platform. Um, and I, I know they're sort of they're picking the items that they're going to cooperate on, but it seems like at every element of the liberal platform, the NDP didn't even shape it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, was the NDP ever opposed to any of this stuff or criticize any of it? Well, no, that's the other thing. I mean, it's pretty, pretty similar. Uh, and also, yeah. it's where the and NDP, maybe it goes further, but it's never, they never go far enough. And uh, housing is just the, always the thing I go back to because it's a hard problem with an obvious solution. And every time you don't do the obvious, I mean, climate change as well, but every time you don't do the obvious solution, the problem gets harder. And we're going to say we've yep. made a brave agreement to not do it. Um, <laughs> labor, they're going to get uh, 10 paid days of paid sick leave every year. Um, 10 days again, of paid sick that's leave. That's a pledge, of course, to implement as soon as possible the legislation already passed by the liberals to ensure that fe- federally regulated workers get 10 days of paid sick leave every year. So if you're not a federally regulated worker, you don't get paid sick leave. Would have been cool if... Uh, they, you know, I know that the Liberals and the NDP have both been super busy over the last couple of years, um, but it would have been cool if uh, that had have been instituted during, I don't know, something like a global pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, that was sickening broad swaths of the workforce. And also, like, again, like, you know, I, I, I understand there's a, the, the, 
to, to just to can, to be so hidebound by these existing structures, like, well, we can only touch federally regulated workers. You're basically also saying if you're, I don't know, a driver for fucking Uber, uh, fuck you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's, well, the, in Britain, that's, the, in that's Br- part of the uh, clean jobs retraining uh, program. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, fuck you to gig economy yeah, workers. You could you could drive a fucking EV vehicle uh, as fast as you can all day long to deliver treats. To and again, this is a time when the NDP have had an unprecedented amount of political power. Yes, it just ability to be a kingmaker in parliament, and they're like, "Don't worry, we're going to give that power away, but we're going to get something great in return," which is this. <laughs> <laughs> that should that, that, honestly just dissolve the party at this point. Like, what's the what's the fucking point? Yeah, just, what are they doing in DC? Allow them, allow them to be absorbed into the uh, greater host body of the liberals. You know, yeah, allow something else to rise in its place, or bring us back yes. to when I don't know. The, at least it was slightly more ambitious under Layton. Um, so yeah. also, there's anti-scab legislation for federally regulated industries by 2023. Again, can possibly just you know prioritize that. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's got. Come on. No. There's a lot of important scabbing to be done between now and 2023. So if you want it, get it in now. <laughs> also, everything else, they're like, oh, we're going to universally, anytime they say we're going to do this, we're going to phase this in, we're going to develop a plan, we have a plan to make a plan. In every case, it's like, okay, well, I don't know. I hope they're still in this situation at that point or else that's just going to get forgotten. So reconciliation with indigenous peoples. Again, we're gonna commitment to advance policies related to murder and missing indigenous women and girls. Don't say what they are. A commitment to work with indigenous peoples to decide how housing investments are delivered and designed. Again, that's never proved transformative because there's like, well, we're going to, we're, we, there is no fundamental change in the power relationship here. There's no fundamental change in the, the control relationship here. It's just, oh, we're boys, consultative bodies, et cetera. And we've seen how that's gone when it comes to pipelines. And a commitment to continued funding to help First Nations, Inuit, and Metis communities undertake burial searches at the former sites of residential schools. And it's like, were you not going to do that? Yeah, that seems bad to mention. That should be just uh, that should just be a given, you know. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like I, I get that's a point where you agree, but like, yeah. I mean, I I I, I understand it's a point where they agree, but like, it, it's I I don't really see what the NDP got there. <laughs> it doesn't um, seem like the NDP really is one, doing too. any gets. They're not. It seems like they're not getting much of anything. Well, they're getting to be friends with the liberals. Yeah, they're getting to be like, uh, what was the quote uh, from that article? I'm just uh, just going to roll back a little bit to the Delacour article. Yeah, um, what they, you know, you're saying they get to be friends with the NDP. This is from that same article you were reading from. By the time the two leaders had that early January conversation, any bad blood, blah, blah, blah. One meeting scheduled to last one hour over the past month stretched to three as Trudeau texted his family to say he was running late. And he, uh, he said to the group, quote, I'm having too much fun. So, you know, like we're dunking on this, but uh, maybe we should be thinking about two new dads having a good time on the phone with each other. Yeah, they just got, they could have started a podcast, but they decided to do something, if you can believe it, less significant. <laughs> Oh my God! Now that you've said it, it's going to happen. It's going to be. Uh, <laughs> Come on! No, it's going to happen. The two, the two um, J's, J cast. Well, they're they're going to get a really. No. They're going to get a big early boost from Chapo, so that's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, um, so the final one, uh, election reform. Yeah. Um, a commitment to work with Elections Canada to expand voter participation, which can include expanding election day to three days of voting. The NDP wants proportional representation, and this is what they got. <laughs> this whole thing is that 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 meme that like I you give me I get you know I give you like it's just so fucking pathetic. I mean, I, I absolutely I I, I they they have to under, did they not understand that in a parliamentary democracy the junior partner has more power? No, apparently not. <laughs> I guess they didn't. Where's the drug law reform? That should be a big priority for the NDP, right? Because yeah, of the, it, it, the BC NDP? Yes, because of the BC NDP. But uh, but I mean, are we looking at are we looking at like the federal NDP basically just kind of ignoring the existence of the federal of the uh, provincial NDP in British Columbia? Is that what we're looking at? I here? mean, it would seem like, so because yeah. I think if you were if if you were the listening to the provincial NDP in British Columbia, you would probably sort of I don't know have more consider you probably want to tackle the financialization of housing as more of a priority um, Absolutely. and you wouldn't just do it with you know um, yimbyism and you probably would have uh, number one stop the opioid epidemic yeah stop, stop the, the overdose uh, leading, crisis leading, leading cause of fucking death in um, uh, males of a certain age certain broad age yeah. range. But more importantly, right? More importantly than stopping a stopping a leading cause of death for you know a certain subpopulation in British Columbia that you could just do with the stroke of a pen and it would be over tomorrow without any kind of extra money being spent, right? Mm-hmm. Beyond just that, where's the money for the victims of communism? Oh yeah, baby. There's there's I- it's not there. It's not there. <laughs> <laughs> What the hell? I was expecting at least that like, the NDP would <laughs> approve it, <laughs> would approve a victims of, con- or maybe like, um, you know, vict- victims of going too far to the left uh, memorial project. Yeah. You know, yeah, Tribute yeah, yeah, to yeah. Liberty was fuming that they were excluded from this group. Oh my fucking God, man. Ah, oh, it's so good. They're and, never going to get is, built. Right? It's amazing. It'll never get built. It'll be the funniest It's going to be like, it's Canada's Sagrada Familia, just there, constantly under yes. construction. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, the other thing, right? Hundreds this is of years in a from policy. Now, there'll, be, there'll be somebody fucking tapping Roman Shukovich's name into a uh, into a ferro-concrete wall, you know, in the middle of the arcology. So, look, from a policy sense, I think we can agree that this is a tepid bucket of dirty bathwater. Yes, um, and it's a bunch of sticking plasters on open, gaping wounds, um, and. It's it's true, right? That this is essentially a power grab by the by the Trudeau government to like make its to sort of act as though its particular agenda is more popular by basically making it so that the uh, people who voted NDP are now voting for the watered down liberal agenda as opposed to the watered down NDP agenda, right? Mm-hmm. This is in fact kind of a a, a very cynical way to. Um, to get a number of you know, relatively unpopular policies through because, I mean, for one reason or another, um, the NDP were uh, unwilling or unable to fight for even their own manifesto positions, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also know, like, you know, the, the NDP have no interest in advancing anything that looks like a radical agenda, and they welcome being a neuter junior partner or a liberal coalition. But the so weird is that the Canadian right is 
so Americanized that they are <laughs> unable to confront the opponent that actually exists in front of them. Yes. You know? And so, like, because they, they, they're basically just saying, they, they can't stop saying that this is now basically October 1917. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Well, this is basically the opposite of October 1917. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, like the liberal Soviet Union. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It's a fucking, it's, it's a dark parallel history of Bolsheviks that break up power. <laughs> so this is like co-opted like, by, uh, yeah. This <sighs> is the Menshevik. <laughs> the Mensheviks have seized power. Yes. Um, so, like, Pierre Poilevre says, that breaking social, socialist one-party state until 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, like Candace Bergen says, we're fighting an NDP liberal majority government right now. The NDP and the liberals were meeting in secret and then cooked up a backroom deal that will see Justin Trudeau get the majority power he so tried desperately to get last fall and failed to get. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a confidence in supply. You have dis- defined a confidence in supply agreement. Yes, <laughs> that's what that's what you have done. You've you know, you, you defined assessed. it, but yes. because because the Canadian right is so wrapped up in the American politics of like personal hatred for a relatively like vacuous liberal figure, based yeah. on imagining them as much more sort of radical and different than they are, right? They're unable to confront the fact they're unable. Number no, there's two things. Number one. They are unable to confront uh, the enemy that exists in front of them, which is the fact that much of this shit's just kind of not going to work. It's going to be half measures or whatever. But they can't. They can't because all they could. They have think they're painting a picture of this overwhelmingly powerful executive that's a sound of like fucking like like as come into power in an interregnum like Georgi Malenkov, and mm-hmm. um, that's going to you know, attempt to seize power, and um. The, the, but they're unable to confront the fact that kind of nothing's really going to change, so they can't they can't call them ineffectual, which is what they are, because they're so obsessed with this idea of just scaring their base of you know Albertan truck people to vote for them. It's literally um, like a fucking revolution of stagnation. <laughs> like, like it's a we've we've already seen radical centrism this is like the, this is a revolution of stagnation we're gonna get more stagnation and it's gonna be more gonna calci- be very more calcified stable. yeah yeah um and you know the and the other thing right is that you know who the liberals probably would would have been like a, a I, I know this requires going back pretty far, right? And it would be weird for like the the liberals and the, the liberals and the Tories aren't necessarily going to work together, especially not in a confidence and supply agreement because they're like the two main parties, right? But yeah, the you could imagine right that some negotiation may have been possible because I think the 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 liberals the liberals are happy to work with the NDP because the NDP have realized that the liberals basically need a um a junior partner of liberals to prop them up, but. It's it just seems like a sort of a bit of an own goal, but the Tories just becoming an American right because the American right's far more powerful and they can be obstructionist. With the Canadian mm-hmm. Tories, you're just complaining. Yes, it's only grievance. It is just grievance yeah, and whining. They can't be obstructionist. <laughs> there aren't enough of them. And the the way that the unless unless a major change happens, they're not going to be able to be obstructionist. And so 
you just get this it's a strange it's a movement entirely in conversation with itself um you know again it's fine that it's you know kept far away from power i mean probably uh-huh. you know, better than the alternative is kept far away from power but it's just it's the it's pure and total americanization by like the person of donald trump it's just so funny to see how neutered it has made them um, yes. in, in in confronting the reality of a liberal minority government all they're able to do is complain and then act as though they have a Mitch McConnell amount of political levers they can pull, which mm-hmm. they don't. <laughs> no, they have very few. I mean, it would kind of rock if uh, the People's Party and the Tories, like, um, you know, sort of did a similar agreement. And then we were left with, you know, two sort of American style parties and then the block. That would be funny to me. <laughs> Two American style parties in the SNP. Let's go. Yeah, let's Fine. fucking go. Bring, I don't know. Fucking uh, who cares anymore? Like who gives a shit? Bring back the Socreds. Let's go. Let's let's have I'd the love green to shirt. See, lo- let's have the green shirts back lo- in play. Let's let's do some wacky. Yeah, we're gonna get the, the Fenian, the Fenian party. Uh, let's the, get the rhinos the are back. back back on their feet. You know, fuck it. Let's go. I think like I want to see the uh, the the manifesto that's like the cooperation between the People's Party of Canada and the Tories, where it's like, look, we're going to advance a plan to look into if five G is turning your nephew gay. Exactly. We are going to set up. <laughs> this, um, this, is ju- this is just the Tory manifesto, and they said they were going to do a bunch of plans for our one. <laughs> my nephew's turning gayer by the day. <laughs> what we if my need- nephew's still gay in four years? What the hell? We need to wean people off resource extraction jobs, so we're setting up a ball breathing institute in Red Deer. All right, I think I, I think we we we've, we've been through this fucking dead cat, this damp squib, yeah. um, long enough. It's time for us to all move on and go on with our lives. That's right. Um, so I want to say thank you very much for listening to the bottom. And I've been Riley, and this has been Dan. Dan's been reclining uh, and relaxing this entire episode. I've been sitting in my new shed. I'm just going to pull the blanket up over me and my computer, switch on Dwarf Fortress, and uh, and just get some R&R in. Uh, so, if you want to know what Dan's doing right... Well, if you wanted to know what Dan was doing a couple days ago, it was playing Dwarf Fortress. That's but right. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for not being a Patreon subscriber. This is going to go out on the free feed. Free feet. To you, the listener, I want to say, uh, there's a Patreon. It's for seven sweet Canadian dollars a month. Uh, you will get a bonus episode on a fortnightly basis. Uh, meaning, there's an episode this week, there's an episode next week, and you can hear it, uh, whatever it may be. So, uh, don't forget to do that. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.